0: Today we are reading in Mark, verses 129 through 39 in the ESV Bible, which is on page 488 in the blue Bibles that are placed in the backs of our chairs. Please know that if you need a Bible, you are welcome to take one of these home. Now hear the word of the Lord, Mark 129 through 39, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. Thus says God's word.
1: Thank you, Terry. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you as always for your word. Um, Lord, we know that we have no hope of change, no hope of sanctification without the the way that Your Spirit applies the truth of Your Word to us. And so we thank You for that. We thank You, God, that You are at work right now while we are attentively listening to You. God, we thank You that we would see You differently this morning, and we pray that we would see You differently. We pray that we would see You as a God who is moved by our need and, and God, just responsive to our smallest, request Lord we thank you that you are a God who um, desires intimacy and and relationship and friendship and fellowship with us we pray that we would learn that from your word today God we thank you that that when you perform signs they have meaning and God we pray that we would not be oblivious to that fact today so for Lord these are all these things and and any other thing that you might want to extract by Your Spirit from this text. We pray that You would make us attentive, that You would center our hearts, that You would actually do a work in our hearts for us to hear this message, God, That, that in a way that is far better than it has been prepared or that it has been crafted, Lord. I pray that that we would hear it as uh, the Word of God and, and that it would it would transform us. Lord, I pray for myself that in all of my weakness that You would just overcome that by Your Spirit, and that I would be able to uh, effectively and faithfully teach Your people Your Word. Thank You for all of this, Jesus. In Your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we are uh, starting our fifth week in this series on the book of Mark. we got a long way to go, but I wanted to return to something I said literally at the very beginning, at the beginning of the first message, and I want to issue, if I can, a reminder to you that when we decided to do this, uh, Dave and I and, and Paul, um, we wanted to really make an encouragement to you to engage with the text. And what I mean by that is is we want to really encourage you over the time that it takes us to go through this to really slow down your life, to marinate in the things we're talking about. There's several ways you can do that. You can spend time every week in the text that we talk about on Sunday. And, and Because I, I, I guarantee you, one of the w- mysteries of God's word is the more you read it, the more you discover in it. You can never wring God's word dry. Have anybody, anybody here found that to be true? And so um, we want to encourage you to uh, to engage with it. Another thing you might want to do is Mark is the shortest gospel. Um, it can be read easily in an hour to an hour and a half. And so I'd like to encourage some of you several times during this series to just read through the whole book of Mark. So what that would do is it would give you some context and, um, and, uh, of the things that are happening before what we talk about and after what we talk about. You'd, you'd see the larger themes of the book. So we're not just saying that. We really want you to do that. And, but if you only read, if you make yourself a neat little list like I like to do and just check off that list, it's not going to be beneficial to you at all. What we really want to encourage you to do is to meditate. And that means you have to stop, you have to pause, you have to think about what you're reading, what you're hearing in these sermons. You have to really kind of let those things roll over in your mind. Many of you know I love the Puritans, and Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, pointed out that in the Old Testament law, God lists the clean animals that they could eat and the unclean animals. And interestingly enough, the unclean animals in the Old Covenant law were the ones that didn't chew the cud. And so he makes this analogy where he says that the, uh, about meditation, he says that people who have been cleansed and made new by the grace of Jesus must be diligent to chew on God's Word and and, and in so doing to extract all of the nutrients out of it. And so that's the basis of what we're encouraging you to do. Um, John Owen, another Puritan, said, it is our pondering of the truth as it is in Jesus that makes makes it possible for it to be realized in our own hearts. So we urge you to take this time to marinate in what you're hearing and hopefully learning, and, and, and all of it from Mark's Gospel, to really kind of consider it and spend some time with it, which will take some discipline, it'll take some diligence to do so, but we hope, you, we hope you'll take that serious. Now let's get started. So last week we talked about Mark one twenty one through 28, and if you'll recall, uh, when we read that last week, Jesus entered the synagogue in Capernaum, and he taught the congregation as a visiting rabbi. Now, um, what, what, when they heard him, everyone in the, in the congregation of the synagogue was amazed by the authority which, with, with which he spoke. And what they did, the Bible says, is they distinguished his authority from the authority that they usually heard from the scribes who had very little to no authority. He, they, they, uh, uh, they saw that with him there was this inherent authority. And so as they're sitting there listening to him, this assessment that they're making about Jesus having authority is confirmed when all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, a man who is demon-possessed stood up and the spirits within him begin to cry out. How interesting and disruptive would that be on a nice Sunday morning like today? They cry out, but Jesus, this authority that they had just been talking about, Jesus exercises his authority, by silencing the unclean spirit. Remember the word um, the word that they used in Greek? It means be muzzled. It means shut up if I can be so bold. And so he, he tells the unclean spirits to be silent. He casts them out of the man. And again, it's to the amazement of everyone in attendance who remarks upon Christ's authority. So Mark, using the word that we've talked about, that he'll use 42 times in his scripture, euthys in the Greek, He says, immediately after these events, Jesus is invited to the home of Simon and Andrew um, for some lunch, for some rest, for some refreshment after his ministry in the synagogue that morning. They, I'm sure, assumed that his day was done. And the context of Mark's account leads us to believe that Simon and Andrew had probably been away from the house for some time. They they probably uh, have been away since they left to go fishing at some, uh, some location on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, in that trip, as we talked about a few weeks ago, called them to be His disciples, and they immediately left everything and started following Him. So most likely, Simon and Andrew had been with Him, and they'd been learning from Him, and they'd been pre- uh, preparing for the years of their discipleship under Jesus and, and their years of following Him. So when they enter their own house in Capernaum, they're uh, surprised to find out that Simon's mother-in-law has taken ill with a fever. Now, this probably, again, we take from the text, that this probably wasn't a long-term condition. In other words, they probably didn't leave a sick old lady and come home to a sick old lady. This is something that happened while they were gone. And so they find that she's been stricken ill with this fever and, and... uh, you know, they come home, and this is this recently a thing that has affected her. And most of us, uh, when we read this in the passage, may kind of put it in a 21st century context. What happens if you have a fever? Of uh, you know, especially a low grade fever, you take a couple of Tylenol and you patiently wait for it to pass, and it usually does. But in those days, in the first century, a fever could indicate a lot of things. And it could often indicate something vastly more serious going on. For many conditions, a fever could actually be a precursor to death. You find out that, that things are really serious. But it's also possible, so I've heard that, I've heard this incident preached that way, but it's also possible that this fever was just a minor ailment. It was uh, just something associated with something like a cold. It was just a minor thing. It It, it could have been... For her, a case of just temporary discomfort as opposed to a seriously and possible fatal disease. Now, why is that important? Because nevertheless, no matter what level of fever, whatever the word fever means in the text, nevertheless, Mark says, once again using our word, that immediately the brothers tell Jesus about her. They discover that Simon's mother-in-law is sick in the house. And they tell Jesus. In fact, Luke says that they appealed to Him on their behalf. They didn't just say, oh, by the way, my mother-in-law is in there sick, so kind of keep it down, Jesus. They didn't say that. They said, they said, there's something going on and you need to know about it. And more than that, Jesus, we need your help. And why wouldn't they appeal to Jesus' help? Now remember, we are not reading isolated stories. We're in a chronology here. Jesus has just demonstrated minutes ago in the synagogue His absolute power over the darkest forces of hell. He absolutely cast demons out of a man after telling them to obey Him in being silent. Why wouldn't they appeal to Jesus? If Jesus has just proved His dominance over the very powers of hell, surely the relief of a fever wasn't outside the realm of His power. Amen? And Jesus does, in fact act on her behalf. And look at how he does so. Now, sometimes i got to be honest with you. I'm guilty of reading the stories of Jesus' miracles in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and I, I miss the larger point. What is this text trying to teach me? And so if I'm going to encourage you, like I did at the beginning, to meditate on this passage, I, I, I don't want you to ignore the depth of what's happening here in these two simple verses about healing or Simon's mother-in-law, notice a couple of things in particular. First, I want you to notice how small of a miracle this was. Now, I know that sounds terrible. Any miracle is a miracle, and, and it's big, and we should celebrate it. But think about what I'm saying. When I call it a small miracle, I'm not taking away anything from Christ, but think about the other miracles of healing that Christ had done. This woman lying in bed was not a leper. She was not someone who had been the outcast of society, who the law had kind of marked off with boundaries and said, don't go near her. She wasn't blind. She wasn't deaf. She wasn't mute. She didn't have some member of her physical body that was absolutely unable to function. She wasn't demon-possessed. She wasn't under the torment of the powers of hell. She had a fever.
0: That's it.
1: And yet, Jesus heard the petition. He heard the cry of her family. Can I just ask you a question? I know it's true of me. I know it is. How often have you and I said, look, it's just a small sickness. I can power through it. It, it, It's just a little fear, a tiny smidgen of unbelief. I can live with that. It's just the littlest bit of sin. And I'll try really, really hard. I can overcome it in my own strength. It was just a fever. if you've ever said something like that, either verbally or in your heart, let me just plead with you this morning, why have you and I not gone to the Savior and asked for His all-sufficient grace to deliver us from it? How good is He to show Peter, to show Simon, who is not yet named Peter, but to show Simon that he, He... Cares and He would respond when He was just asked to do so. You might ask yourself if you've had the attitude it's just a little this or a little that. You might even ask yourself, why did Jesus even bother with this? I mean, think again about what has happened this very day. What has happened? Surely Jesus has made His point of His messianic glory in the synagogue. Surely. When the people saw that demon be silenced, when they saw him leave that man, surely every point that he could have possibly made about the glory that he carried with him had been made. Now think about that in comparison with this tiny, tiny little crowd in in Simon's house. There's no crowds present to learn any great lesson here. None. None. So Jesus does another demonstration of His power to save. What's the point that He's going to make? What would motivate Him to intervene on behalf of this sickly old woman who will probably get better anyway? Absolutely nothing at all would motivate Him. Nothing. Except except for His steadfast love. Both for her and for the men who asked Him about her. That's what would motivate Him. He healed her, listen, because He willed that she be healed. He wanted her well. It was mercy that drove Him and compelled Him to reveal His steadfast love right in the middle of her need. And can you this morning believe that Jesus loves you with the same steadfast love and would be willing to reveal His power in the middle of your need. This morning, I would encourage us all to acknowledge by an act of real repentance that we know so absolutely little of the love and mercy of God that is just waiting to be showered down upon us. James, in his epistle, put it like this, you do not have because you do not ask. This morning, as a, as a body, as individuals, as a, peop- a group of people who love the Lord Jesus, let us come to Jesus. Let's come not pretending we're, it's just tiny or that we're better than we are, Let's come to Jesus empty-handed and needy and let's plead for ourselves and for those that we love. Plead for mercy that He is just waiting to reveal. Now, let's look at something else in this. Look at the way in which Jesus healed this woman. Verse 31 tells us that He came and He took her by the hand and He lifted her up. Now, throughout the course of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus uses a number of methods to bring about healing. For some, He lays a hand upon them. For another, she just comes and touches His clothes. For another, He makes mud out of His own spittle and applies it to their eyes. To another, He tells them, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And another, He heals from a distance with just the utterance of His Word. So, there's nothing, there is no formula in the specific method that Jesus ever uses in the Gospel. They're simply chosen. The methods He uses to bring about healing are simply chosen for the purpose that seemed useful and meaningful to Him in each specific incident, even if, as varied as they are. Now, And that's true even if we're not told in Scripture or may never know what His reasons were. Jesus did things because of, that's the way He willed to do them. But here, with this woman, this sick woman, we see something of his tenderness, we see something of his pity. To to take someone's hand, think about that action, to take someone's hand, especially someone who is suffering somehow downtrodden, to take their hand is an act of both intimacy and uh, encouragement. If, If you are if you're in the hospital and I come to pray for you and I take your hand, I'm trying to communicate something to you. I'm saying, hey, I'm with you. And more than that, I care about you. And Jesus does this. Taking that woman's hand was Jesus' way of associating Himself with her humanness and with her infirmity. He was with us. And that's that's why we're studying this Gospel. It would be the same if we were studying Matthew, Luke, or John. It's to get this idea, to get this understanding that Jesus in coming to us was, was truly with us. But He wasn't just with us like we, since God is with us right now, He came to be with us as one of us. Loving and willing to touch and to be touched by us. And notice that touch is not insignificant. It's the touch of Jesus that lifts us up, just like it did with this poor, ailing woman. Without His touch given to us, we would all be left to suffer in our sin and in our sickness. And this is why the writer of Hebrews emphasizes in the words he uses that He is our great high priest because He is. Touched by the feelings of our various weaknesses. So what's the result of that touch? I bet you could guess, even if Terry hadn't read you the text. The Bible tells us in the last part of verse 31, the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, most of you know that, uh, come here regularly, in January I went down with COVID, and I went down hard like many of you did. I I kept I'm, I I had to deal with a lot of like envy and jealousy because I kept hearing some of you say, "Oh yeah, I had it wasn't that bad." Five days later, I bounced back. Well, I was down like under a steamroller for 16 days. It was terrible. One of, some of the worst days of my life. And and near the end of that process, though, I started to you know kind of incrementally feel better. And took a while before I was ready to do anything around the house anything at the church, just anything. I was, I was not feeling well. But Simon's mother, when Jesus touches her, is relieved immediately. Think about that. When Jesus healed her, her strength returned to her in an instant. There was no lingering effect. Like, just give me a minute, Jesus. There's nothing like that. She was well, and she was strengthened. And as a proof of that, what does she do? What does this? text to tell us she bounced right out of bed and began serving with her hospitality, um, Jesus and His four disciples, and she was caring for their needs out of her gratitude and love for them. It was a beautiful thing. Now, how often have you and I received different outpourings of the grace of God, answers to prayer, miracles, whatever it is, and yet, if we're honest, maybe we responded with idleness or even worse, with some selfishness. And Listen to me. This lady teaches us something great. You know what the proper response of, of of recognizing the goodness that God has given you is? It's faithful service. It's 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 getting up and serving the Lord. Now, this miracle is is taking place. Jesus is being served by this lady. And let's let's pause for a minute and review this day that Jesus has had. In a few hours, we've talked about it. He taught with supernatural authority in the synagogue. He delivered a man from severe demonic oppression. He healed a little old lady from her sickness. And as you may guess, news about such things travels really, really fast. It doesn't. They, they, they take wings and just fly. And that's exactly what happened in Capernaum. Mark tells us that at sundown, people began to carry all of their afflicted to Jesus to find help for them. Didn't matter whether they were sick with various diseases, they were oppressed by demonic spirits. Uh, a, a, a demonic spirits, and the Bible says that Jesus showed mercy to them. Now, what is this deal about waiting till sundown? They weren't just respecting Jesus's downtime and saying, "Okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna, um, you know, let him finish lunch or anything like that." What happened, according to Jewish law, was that the Sabbath was strictly observed from Friday night until Saturday night, and so the Jews were prohibited. Uh, you know, from carrying any burdens during that time, even if that burden happened to be your old sick grandmother you couldn 't do it, and so they waited until the end of the Sabbath, sundown on Saturday night, to search Jesus out, literally carrying their loved ones so that he could heal and deliver them now Jesus, if you know the Gospels, Jesus would later tell his critics, the Pharisees and Sadducees, that it was legal. And it was just and it was righteous to heal and to relieve suffering on the Sabbath day. And yet, now watch this, even though he, he had not yet revealed that part of his teaching, he still received those willingly and lovingly who came to him and seeking him, his help. And what does that tell us? It tells us that he is a merciful Savior. Now, I want you to, you guys know I love to take polls, so I'm going to take one here. I want you to raise your hand if you have got everything in this word figured out. Go ahead, raise your hand. And I'm going to resign and let you take over. But um, anybody here? Anybody here got this all figured out? Why would I take such a silly poll? Because we see in this Jesus healing people at the door on, on that night, even though it's perfectly fine to heal people on the Sabbath, that even when we allow our religious misconceptions to keep us from seeking Him out for a season, He still doesn't turn us away when we come to Him with empty hands and willing hearts. Isn't that great? You don't have to have it all figured out. You, you just have to trust Him. You have to, Now, I'm not, I'm not encouraging laziness about the Scriptures. You need to be in the Scriptures. You need to be figuring out what He said and what His will is. But Jesus is so good. I'm telling you, Jesus saved me when I was uh, 16 years old, and I was in in probably a church that right now I would I would say was just on the border of heresy. It was really bad, but I trusted Jesus, and so Jesus saved me. He doesn't turn us away when we come to him with empty hands and willing hearts. So what happened? Jesus met all of these people, all these sick people, all these demon possessed people at the door of Simon's house, though he had retired there to rest from a day of laboring for his father. He healed their various diseases and cast out all kinds of devils, again commanding those devils to keep silence, because he didn't need their foul testimony and nor was it his time to be fully revealed. He told them just be quiet, be muzzled. And this is how the the day of Jesus's ministry in Capernaum ended. Now, it would seem that that was a pretty successful day of ministry. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, he's healed people. The Bible says the whole city was gathered at his door. That's pretty significant to me. Pretty successful ministry. And it would seem that his response to this day, if we're thinking about it, might be similar to how you and I might react. Perhaps he would react to such a day with self-satisfaction. Well, that was pretty good work. Perhaps he would respond uh, with making plans to exploit his success. How can we really get this thing to take off because of what's happened here today? Perhaps he'd plant a ministry headquarters there. Perhaps he would get those he healed and delivered to go out and about and tell their stories so others would come and sign up to be his followers on the strength of the power that had been revealed in his midst. Man, they would have a genuine full-scale revival on their hands if he had done that. But interestingly, Mark takes our story in a completely opposite direction. Verse 35 says this, In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now again, we're in meditation mode. Again, slow down and think about this. Jesus has been going all day long. He had preached, he'd healed and delivered multitudes from uh, demonic oppression. He was spent. If Jesus was truly human, and he was, he was spent. Most preachers, in fact, I talked to one just this week, and we kind of swap a note. Most preachers will tell you that delivering a gospel message can be exhausting, not because... This act that takes you know 30 to 40 minutes is exhausting. But the preparation, the emotional toll, the prayer, the self-reflection, all of this together can be really taxing when it's done in a God-honoring way. Sometimes, if I'm honest with you, and I will be, the only thing I'm thinking about on Sunday afternoon is a long, long nap. That's it. But Jesus, though he was fully human was compelled by a stronger internal impulse than just his own weariness. He didn't rest on the success of the day. He rose out of bed while it was still dark, while everyone was sleeping, and he got completely alone with his father. And he poured out his heart in prayer in that moment. And you may think, For one metric or another that you are well-equipped to do mighty things for God, but do you pray? Do you really, really pray? You may desire somewhere in your heart to be a mountain mover, but do you seek God's face in quiet, lonely hours when no one sees and no one hears but God Himself? Listen, this is the recipe for ministry. This is the kind of person that God hears. And what a lesson we learn from Christ in this moment. How convicting should this simple account be for us? It's a shame when you and I settle for how little we can accomplish without intimate, secret prayer. We should search our hearts. And be honest about how we've neglected opportunities that we've had to fellowship with Christ in the dark and quiet moments when no one sees what we do, let today, listen church, let today be the day when we determine to, to rise earlier, to shut off the screens that steal so much of our time and find God in the secret place the quiet place, the desolate place as Jesus did. To find Him and to know Him. You might think, oh man, I, I don't know. That's so many times I said I was going to get up and pray for an hour and I'm, you know, my mind drifts and, and I, I get distracted and, and I, I, I fall asleep right there while I'm trying to pray. Listen, we've all been there. And you don't have to feel bad about that at all because I'm telling you that a small but committed beginning is much better than no beginning at all. Amen? A small but committed beginning is better than no beginning at all. A few minutes of genuine prayer are better than more wasted time. And you know what you can do during that prayer? You can say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my appetite for You. Increase my my willingness and my diligence to stay with You and to to learn to, to, to lay out my heart before You and to receive from You. If Christ, Jesus, without the curse of sin, needed to steal away to hear the Father's heart, how much more do you and I, how much more? You and I fall prey to all kinds of temptations daily. And yet Jesus, man, he made sure that his main thing was to be with the Father. So when Simon arose on Saturday morning, he's surprised to find that Jesus is missing. Can you imagine that? He wakes up with a big smile on his face after the day they'd had yesterday. Man, they're on the map now. Gets up, goes to wherever Jesus was sleeping, and Jesus isn't there. Surprise! Come on, Jesus! There's work to do! The crowds are waiting for more power to be poured out. Jesus, you're nowhere to be found! So he quickly organized a search party and he went looking high and low for this absentee miracle worker. Where would he go? When he found him, (laughs) Jesus was completely alone. And Jesus was completely satisfied to be in communion with his Father. He was in absolutely no hurry. He wasn't at all pressed by the urgency of the important as we so often are. And in this moment, Peter issues him a mild rebuke. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. What is he saying there? He wasn't just giving him information. He wasn't saying, oh, by the way, there's some people who like to see you. No, no, no. He's doing so much more than that. He's saying, Jesus, what are you doing here? It's a new day. The people are waiting. In fact, they're already lining up. Jesus, do you not realize what happened yesterday? Jesus, you're a smash. You're a sensation. No one has ever seen anything like this before. No one's ever heard anything like this before. Why did you just steal away like this? Jesus, there's a crowd and they want you. How would would you react to that if you were in Jesus' shoes? You might say, well, the proof is in the pudding, right? If it's miracles the people want, then it's miracles the people are going to get. Miracles that Jesus should provide. Market research proves it. All the, the, the study groups and, and impact studies are in. And this is the way to become big right here in Capernaum. We're an important city. Jesus, this tidal wave is just beginning. But Jesus, if you'll recall, from a couple weeks ago in our message, Jesus had re- arrived Not with a sign, but with a message. Jesus had come with a message. Do you remember what it was? Mark 1.15? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And in all that account that Terry read us this morning, can you tell me who it was in Capernaum that believed who it was in that crowd gathered at his door that repented? All of them were clamoring for the miracles, but what they didn't understand was that the miracles were the proof of his message. It was the miracles that were pointing to the message, not the other way around. So I imagine that Peter was shocked when he heard Jesus say, Nope, Peter, we're done here. Time to move on. That's how Mark puts it. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach There also, for that is why I came out. Just like today, people were thrilled by the miracles. They want relief for their temporal discomforts, their inconveniences, but they're less interested in the message that those signs point to. Jesus emphasizes that preaching was the main thing. And the miracles only serve to confirm the message that he gave. I I wanted to try to illustrate uh, this for you, and the best I could do was to point back to the Psalms. In the Psalms we read this, Psalm 103, verse 7. It says that God made made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. What's that distinction between ways and acts? Well, the people of Israel saw God, all of them, saw God split the Red Sea wide open so they could walk across it on dry land. They witnessed the thunder and the lightning as he spoke on the top of Mount Sinai. They saw him rain down bread from heaven. They saw Moses strike the rock and water gush out so that all of them, hundreds of thousands of them, could drink. But Moses, on the other hand, went up to the mountain and he spoke with God. He heard God's words and he received God's message in the law. When he boldly asked to see God's glory, God let all of his goodness pass before him. The Bible even says this, it just blows my mind, it says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. See, Israel saw God's acts. They saw all the miracles but they knew nothing of His ways as Moses did. It was the same thing in Capernaum. Same thing. Many there saw and even experienced the acts of the Messiah, but they knew nothing of the ways of His salvation. So Jesus must preach, letting all of Galilee, all of Israel hear of His ways, There would be signs accompanying the message, dozens of them, but the message was foremost. So Mark tells us that Jesus did continue throughout the towns of Galilee, first of all preaching, and confirming that preaching with signs and wonders, particularly the casting out of demons, proving that the greater power had arrived in order to push back all the forces of darkness until that glorious day of their utter and complete Destruction. And so, what what are the signs of Christ meaningful to us today? We have a great example here in the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup are a sign. They're the sign of our covenant. This is our, as Jared said earlier, this this is our covenant renewal ceremony. These The bread and the cup are not the message, but they are a sign of the message. They are saying that um, the Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon Him. And we have a, an example of of this bread that represents His broken body, this cup that represents His blood poured out for you. And so... As we um, come today to partake of this sign, I want you to thank the Lord for the message that this sign represents. The message that if you are a believer in Jesus, and if you're not, you you don't need to come forward today, but if you are a believer in Jesus, the message that, that, that makes this meaningful, the message that this sign points to, to give thanks for that today, So, I'm going to ask you all to stand. I'm going to ask our communion helpers to come and join us to serve at the table. And in a moment, we will um, ask you to come forward, receive the elements, and then return to your table, or to your chair, rather, and um, and, uh, we will take those together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's Take the bread together. In the same way also after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake of the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way that you have revealed your power to us sometimes in healing, sometimes in wisdom. God, for all of us who believe, you have revealed your power to us in the gospel. You said of the gospel that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then the Greek. So Lord, we we praise you this morning. We have nothing to do but praise you that, that what is so beautifully illustrated in this supper that we've shared together now reminds us that Your grace has reached beyond our national identity. It's reached beyond our religious um, kind of uh, um, affiliation, Lord. And You have made us Yours. You have healed our greatest disease, the, the disease of sin. And You've made us completely whole in Christ, made us completely righteous. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So, Lord, find us faithful. Find us faithful to be pursuing you and seeking your face, crying out to you for all our needs, both great and small, for needs of, of faith and needs of sanctification, Lord. Help us to be on our knees crying out to you with the full trust that you are listening and that you're responding because you're a good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to read this benediction to you from Psalm 107, verse 19 and following. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love his wondrous works to the children of man and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy in the name of the father in the name of the son in the name of the holy spirit amen you're dismissed